The last kick of the night from 45 out, 45 degree angle. Isaac Heaney comes in. Beautiful drop punt. And the goal umpire didn't move. Sydney sink the Dockers' season by 29 points, 105 to 76. Yes. The dying throes of Fremantle's 2023 season officially. I think Fremantle's 2023 season was gone a few weeks back, but certainly mathematically pretty much cooked now off the back of that 29-point loss to Sydney. Of course, another big loss to West Coast away against Carlton on the weekend. Looked like being an absolute debacle at quarter time before they rallied a little bit. We've got Werribee coach and former Fremantle player Michael Barlow on the line. Mick, welcome. G'day, Duff. Yeah, good to be on. Um, uh, it's a bit of Groundhog Day again, mate. We've got both our sides in the bottom four, and it would seem that that's uh, potentially where they finish. Yeah, let's talk about something different. You had a 44-point win over Frankston on the weekend. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, I'm actually coding the game as we speak. We started really slowly, um, so I'm actually not in the best mood because I'm just watching the first quarter as we speak. But we, uh, we rallied and, and found a way to win, so that's nice. Let's talk about West Coast against Carlton. I was a bit perplexed at the first bounce when I saw Brady Hoff go to Charlie Curnow. Now, I know Adam Simpson had lost um, Tom Barris in the run into the game, and obviously Jeremy McGovern was in concussion protocols, but I thought there were better plans for Charlie Curnow than that one. Yeah, and it probably didn't catch me by surprise when I, because I was coaching at the same time the West Coast game was on, but caught up on the news pretty quickly after but Kurnow had kicked 10, um, and I did think, okay, well, Tom Barras was, was playing, so that either speaks to a really poor game from him or, or whether something's gone wrong. So there, there was not a huge amount of options um, beyond, but I think Brady Hoff's been probably a, a shining light in terms of what West Coast have got in, in terms of a bit of creative half-back run and, and, and using the ball off half-back. So, um, yeah, I think he was fighting out of his weight division and, uh, in that matchup, ten goals doesn't really surprise me, but I don't think it discredits what Brody, um, what Brady Hoff's going to be for the West Coast Eagles. No, and of course it didn't help that they they turned it up inside the centre square and Carlton absolutely dominated them there. So it was like a shooting gallery there before quarter time. Luke Shuey's twanged another hammy. Mick, um, is it time? Uh, it's it's a shame, isn't it? And it happened pretty early, so. Um, yeah, the dejection around Luke Shuey and, and how that looks is is real. Um, I think you look, you're probably going to take a deep breath on it and, and just say, okay, what what is the circumstance around Luke Shuey for, for the West Coast Eagles? What does it look like financially? Unfortunately for him, I think it's... Um, is he contracted next year? No. No, he's not. And I think from no, a... So, from um, sorry, I'll, yeah. Yeah, salary cap, salary cap, something we need to discuss. In that, I think if it's if it's a minimum chips type of operation where he can be a mentor and leadership, and and can they get twelve to sixteen games out of him, then that, that's a discussion. But probably on the salary that he has rightfully earned for a long time um, would be a squeeze, wouldn't it? I think they're looking low salary and try and keep him going. I just wonder about morale when a senior player like Shuey is sitting in the grandstand so often. Like, I think this is nine of 18 games he's played so far this year, and in three of those nine games, he's had to be subbed out pretty early. 
Um, is that, I guess, is that viable? And, and what is the downside of having a player like that on your list? You know he's a great player, but you can't get access to him because he's always injured. Yeah, and that's the discussion that's got to be had. I think we're not at all questioning, um, I suppose, the character and cultural um, effectiveness he's had had on the group, and he, he still can have on the group. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably take a deep breath on it. Oh, I wrote an article in the West last week um, kind of projecting um, a couple of years ahead of, of this year, and I wouldn't see him in the 2025 side, but I would have, if there was a 2024 side to, to draft, um, He'd be in and around the edges if that salary can can match what what the expectation is um, for Luke. And not knowing Luke all that well, but he's one that's that's wedded to the West Coast Eagles, and we know that the West the West Coast Eagles look after their own. Um, and you know, long term, is there is there a role in terms of a development coaching role in, in, into more in-depth coaching down the track? That's it's all something that'll have to be weighed up. But but on the field right now, um, the high performance element of the West Coast Eagles has been really poor and uh, there's obviously been some movement already in that space. Um, does a fresh set of eyes and, and new regime coming in <laughs> assist with the discussion around Luke Shuey? So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into right now riding off a champion of the football club. Um, but I think there's going to be a hit to, to what the salary will look like and, and maybe what the role um, holistically looks like. I liked your take on West Coast list management going forward. It was your column in the West Australian last week. I, I've always been a great believer when you're down the bottom, you draft and you draft hard, but you seem to like opt for a bit of a, a mix of draft and trade. Tell us your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I've always had a look and the deep dive. I think we've had a lot of, a lot of time this year to really analyse what, what the West Coast Eagles do, of which behind closed doors you, you'd imagine all these discussions are happening. But just having a look around the comp, I mean, we we love you know the the storyline around WA people coming back to WA, and and the realities are that that's that's a very real narrative. Um, young young guys that get drafted to to different states, regardless of where they're from, they will have a bias towards returning home. Not, not all, but I would say a good majority. Um, and I, having moved to WA to play football myself, I know how good living in Perth and, and the surrounds is and, and the lifestyle that comes with. And these guys who have grown up in the area absolutely know that as well. So I think they're looking at all those players that are contracted you know, to the end of this year, to the end of next year, to the end of 2025, and, and looking at how how they can bring a connected group together. So um, it won't happen all at once. It'll take two or three trade periods right up until um, you know, the 2025 contractual statuses of, of Logan McDonald's, um, even your Zach Fishers at the moment at Carlton, who's contracted until then, but they're out of favour. You, you, you're absolutely thinking there's, there's dual or mutual benefit between clubs getting together around some of these players and, and moving early. So... Um, yeah, I think it's it's not going to happen all at once. You, you do need to bring in some some maturity, keep some maturity on the list. Um, the, the names I think that fell out of my side for twenty twenty five that that probably have trade currency are your your Jack Darling, Elliot Yo's, um, uh, Tom Barras has, has been one that's publicly kind of been linked to that as, as soon as this year. So you've got to make sure you maximise the trade currency. Um, look to bring in the right type of player that, that's going to be in for the long haul and. Clearly, they're going to hit the draft pretty hard. So I think they're in a really good position to to bounce in probably 24 to 36 months. 
Alex Witherden's an interesting one. He, he struggled for a, a season and a half to find his feet at West Coast, but I reckon the last few weeks we've just seen signs that he's suddenly grown comfortable in the role that's been given to him, and I would have had him in there two or three best players on the weekend against the Blues. Absolutely. Uh, he, he was one that was great early. Got a lot of opportunity early at Brisbane um, through that rebuild, really. They were down the bottom, and they brought in players that were going to play with it and was one of those. Sometimes there, there is an element of that, and you see it a lot, don't you, that the players that kind of whiz to 50 games in, in underperforming sides, um, probably seeing that was kind of Zach Fisher at the moment as well at Carlton, they just become used to playing, and and the needle never really shifts to to going from, from one level to the next. And that, that's probably been with it. And um, coming to West Coast, a lot more was expected of him. Expected of him, didn't fully deliver. He's a nice player. And I think he's, he's had a bit of career mortality this year where it, it, it probably becomes real that, hang on, this actually isn't um, an entitlement being an AFL footballer. And, and if I don't pull up my socks and get moving, then I'll have to consider what's what's next, which, which he should be doing anyway, uh, regardless of... of how your football is going. And um, I actually coach his younger brother here at Werribee because they're from Geelong and then we've got a lot of Geelong-based players on our list. And I've spoken a little bit about kind of the West Coast situation with um, um, yeah, Alex's brother about how, how it's all looking and, and how his own situation's going. And, um, yeah, there's been obviously some harder moments, but uh, what I've found out about Alex with it is, is he's up for the challenge and, and his own form has, has kind of trended in the right direction off the back of a bit of adversity. Fremantle, their season gets pretty disappointing as it as it goes further along. Their sixth loss in seven games. What are you making of them at the moment? Uh, same same stuff, wasn't it? I, I uh, again, didn't catch the first part of the game. Um, I was at a function and and uh, as I am, Duff nowadays, very mature and responsible. I was you're very, pretty early. From you've time. always been a social butterfly. Yeah. Well, I have. I, I rarely would have got home at, you know, in, in my playing days before midnight, but this time I, uh, <laughs> I, was, out, I was out the door at 8 o'clock, so I, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I could get home and watch the back half of the Dockers game. And unfortunately, when I left, um, turned the radio on, and it was already a, a bit of a, a one-way show with Sydney jumping out of the blocks, which has been the trend all year for the Dockers, which um, we scratch our heads at, really, because... You've got to come to play early because AFL sides, we see, if they can get a, get a lead, you can just control the game. And if you're five goals out, you're going to be able to control the narrative, put a spare behind the ball, um, you know, play possession football for, for large chunks of the game, know that the opposition's going to come and maybe get a run on, but you've got the buffer of a lead and it's hard to sustain. You really need to play perfect football from five goals down at quarter time to, to get a result. And, uh, they're putting themselves in that situation too often, I think you know, Andrew Brayshaw was was one that, that was right down. I don't think he had a clearance as as a as a you know, majority midfield player. Um, and there's probably too many players in that, that group at the moment that the expectation is is above uh, what their output um, or what their capacity actually is, and and that may speak to a lot of them playing above themselves. Last year, we've talked a lot about the players that have gone out of the program that um, maybe, well, not maybe, I think it's becoming more apparent that they were far more credible and far more influential on, on what was happening last year than, than perhaps um, externally was given credit.
I'll put this theory to you, Mick. It's a one that I've developed on the weekend watching the skill areas that led mm. to that 25-point Sydney lead at quarter time. I just wonder when the game is hottest, when the opposition is freshest and the tempo is up and about, there are too many Fremantle players that commit errors. And uh, there were about four or five blatant ones on the weekend where Fremantle should have been on the surge, should have been breaking through middle, and they were trying to play fast footy at the weekend, and and, uh, I I give them that much. But just errors that shouldn't be made at AFL level when you're out out and you've got your belly button pointed at the target and you miss, and the ball goes back the other way. And I just wonder whether that happens to Fremantle, and there are players they're going to have to make decisions on that when the game is really hot, they're the ones that are... There's a bit of that, isn't it? And um, it is getting to the point in AFL land, the, outlier, the AFL landscape that if you, you can't use the ball to make good decisions, because um, the game has turned largely into a skill-based game. Uh, speed and skill is is paramount, which um, I sit here now far removed from my AFL career, um, satisfied that I was probably in there in a, in a space where there was a bit more of a victor of, of contested competitiveness, um, the pace of the game was probably back just a little bit. So um, there, there is a bit of that. Is it, is it also that you know, the players' minds are really full? I know the Carlton example, uh, what was it, probably two months ago when um, they were having a really poor run. Some of the external commentary, which I think was spot on, you could see when the players had the ball that it looked like their heads were full. Uh, they, were, they were trying to rationalise what, what the option was uh, was to make or required off the back of you know option one two three four five. Whereas now you you can see they're playing with a fair bit, bit more freedom and they're going forward and they're making that first instinctual decision. Um, yeah, I think that speaks a little bit to what we're seeing with Fremantle. Um, what what is going through the, the thought process with with player with ball in hand? They're they're very much a control side, and I think the majority of the, the um, competition have moved away from the the control and turn it a bit more into chaos and, and take territory and, and take corridor, get speed on the ball, um, of which Fremantle just spent a little bit slow to jump a hold of. So this is probably the thing they need to get out of the back end of this year, isn't it? I was going to ask you, what can they get out of the last five or six six weeks of the year? And it mm. probably is that, to, to learn to play that style and then to drill it all summer and come back better prepared next year? Yeah, and individually you're going to see... You're going to see some things, aren't you? Like I think players between, well, let's call them players from kind of 12 to to 28. You're going to learn a lot about and and who's who's in the seat. I think last year there was a, there was a a big expectation of okay, that's the team. Um, now this natural growth to kind of the next phase of a top four side is is there because these are the players we've got. I think there's probably question marks around. Um, yeah, players 12 to 28 and, and who who are the genuine players that are going to play on a half-back flank and, and on a wing. Um, I think like players like James Ace has, has been a really good find for Freo and, and done a really good job. But is, is an Ethan Stanley going to jump in and jump past him? Nathan O'Driscoll, is he going to jump up and jump jump past um, you know, Bailey Banfield and, and, and Ethan Hughes, who, again, I'm a Fremantle person that... that Love what these players do and have done, in particular last year when when um, when they went went to the finals. But then there's got to be that 10 to 20 percent growth in in players on the fringes. We've seen bits and pieces of Matt Johnson and Neil Erasmus. Um, so Fremantle still a still a young side. They're in the bottom kind of four or five youngest sides in the comp. 
Um, so the development program is going to be incredibly important, whoever's setting up the development program, to make sure that the development plans and, and the improvement areas of these players um, uh, are ongoing and jumping past some of these guys that have been around for probably 100 to 150 games. One more before I let you go. Liam Henry continues to play solidly on a wing. He's out of contract at the end of the year. He's put those contract talks on hold, which is never a good sign. I suspect Liam Henry will be trying to leave at the end of the season. How how hard, if you're Fremantle, how hard do you fight to keep him? And if you can't keep him, what's his trade value? Well, he's, um, yeah, speaking of pulling his socks up, he's one that's, that's got moving. Oh, I'd probably be a little bit more optimistic. You probably know more than me, though, Duffy. But you're a little bit close to the ground on these things. Um, in terms of trade and, and player movement. But what I see, and I speak completely uh, detached from understanding anything about if he wants to go or does, does he want to stay. Um, if he hadn't found this spot uh, on the wing and hadn't had these performances where he's, he's probably been the, the top two or three Fremantle players in the last month, um, if he hadn't done that in the last month, then I think he would have been out the door and think, I need a fresh opportunity. Um, I, I, I need a, to go to a place where everything's new and um, there might be an opportunity put in front of me that, yep, we, we value you here, we see you playing here, where it just hasn't, hadn't clicked with Freo. Now that it's clicked, you look at the 2024 round one side, you're putting Liam Henry um, on the wing and you know, he's starting out end player. So uh, in terms of salary, you're not, you're not jumping up and paying him well over the odds to keep him because you've got to be able to rationalise him um, with player and club that, uh, you're now playing football at a level of you know maybe he's at 400 grand and, and here's a here's a two-year contract with with a trigger to go to a three and and, and earn that worth that if you can sustain um, this form then, then it happens so I would I would be I would be thinking they would be pushing pretty hard to keep a player like Liam Henry um, but in by pushing hard they're not pushing hard with with the dollars and cents it's it's here's your opportunity you found your spot in the best 18. And if you form warrants, you're going to earn, earn a nice chunk of dough. Mickey Barlow, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. Always appreciate your insights on footy for both uh, WA clubs and look forward to Werribee's form in the coming weeks. Good on you, Duff. I'm uh, scratching my head what to write about on Wednesday in the, the West Australian, such is, um, such is the demise of our two clubs at the moment. But uh, let's, let's discuss soon and uh, hopefully there's a turn in fortunes for both. Yeah, mate, I'm an old wise head. I can, uh, I'm always good for, uh, you can tap what's left of my brain and see if there's something decent in there. <laughs> Thanks, mate. All right, Michael Barlow, of course, uh, he's coach of the Werribee VFL team. He's a former Fremantle docker and uh, part of uh, the SEN commentary team. We'll take a break and be back with more of the show after the break.